0: Welcome to the Inspired Jewish Woman podcast, a place to come together to meet passionate Jewish women from all around the globe, coming from different backgrounds, places, and stages in life. At Inspired Jewish Women, we focus on what unites us, being a Jewish woman. We come together in unity, unity without uniformity. We believe that every woman has a beautiful and unique light to shine to our community and to the world. We believe we have so much to learn from everyone. In these podcast interviews, we find the light in others and help illuminate it forward to all of you. These are the topics that matter most to you and empower you to be the Jewish woman you want to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of our weekly podcast, Inspiring Jewish Women. And I have a very special woman with us here today who has inspired me tremendously in my life. And I know that she will touch yours as well. Alyssa Felder, originally from England. I think that's, I love the accent, Alyssa. Just wait till... (laughs) So you hear her beautiful eloquent words. And Alyssa and I met a couple years ago through Momentum, through the trips to Israel. We're both leaders. We've brought groups from our communities. There's lots of leaders out there, Alyssa, but I think we have a very special bond because our passion is unity, unity for the Jewish people. We talk the same language, you know? When I Mm -hmm. met you, I'm like, I have met my match. (laughs) This is my soul sister. So thank you so much for coming out here, for being with us.
1: I think this is a very meaningful topic that we're going to be discussing today and it's an intense time period that we're in in the Jewish calendar and it's very apropos for Eve to bring me on because this is a topic that's very dear to my heart. I'm very passionate about this topic. Today actually is the month of Av and the zodiac sign is the lion which is very passionate so it's very appropriate that we're speaking about something that is very deep and very real and something I think that we should all be focused on today and for the next few days.
0: You know, there's times of the year where we tune it up. Adar. Lots of joyous times, thank God, in our Jewish calendar. But our sages tell us that when the month of Av comes in, we decrease our joy. So we're kind of setting the tone for that today. And you don't have to look too far or too far back in history to feel connected to this morning because we are all mourning on some level, whether it's in our homes or in our cities. And maybe we could try to give some perspective.
1: So the ninth of Av was the night where the spies that were sent into the land of Israel to scout out the land to check out the land those spies came back there were 12 of them and 10 of them came back with what's described in the Torah as an evil report they came back and said the land is filled with giants it's not conquerable and they lost touch of their relationship to God they didn't think they could do it and they cried and that's the beginning of our connection to this time period as being one of crying. I actually would like to take us back to a teaching. Let's go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that when they ate from this tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were expelled from the garden. And apparently, according to our teachings, God gave Adam and Eve two gifts to take with them out into their expulsion. They were given the gift of Shabbat, and they were given the gift of tears, of crying, because tears help us wash away Our pain. They help us to emote in a very real way. So, physiologically, we can look at the science and say, yes, it has serotonin in our tears that help us feel better after we cry. We can look at it that way, or we can look at it as what are real tears? Where are they coming from? And we speak on our trips about. Tears coming from our soul, it's our soul sweating. And we say it flippantly, but it's so real. When you break your heart open, like any experience where you have felt really broken open, not peeling onions, but break open your heart and what comes out is tears because it's real and it's vulnerable and it's an encounter with something that's bedrock of who you are. And when we allow ourselves to feel that and emote in that way, there's a washing and a cleansing and a wave that we ride and we come out the other side. So we're in a society that doesn't want to see crying. We don't want to see people cry. It makes us uncomfortable. And I think it's worth challenging that belief that we have in our society and saying, actually, tears are very valuable. They're a gift that God gave us. So let's use them. Let's allow them Mm. to happen so we can get in touch with ourselves. Because that's the beginning of any kind of world healing, is to understand who we are on the inside. And tears allow us to open that up.
0: I think some people are more comfortable with crying and some people are less comfortable with it. I grew up in a home where I would see my father cry, not because he was weak, because he was feeling something deep. And it was such a gift that he gave me. Like, I don't think it's weakness to cry. Not all my children feel the same way. I've been going through something in my own life and it was a lot to hold. And yesterday I sat down on the swing outside. My son was sitting next to me, my oldest son, and I was crying. And he turned to me, he said, mommy, are you crying? I said, yeah. I said, okay, now that I've cried, I feel better to go on with (laughs) my day. Like, I think he was a little bit perplexed. I think different people feel differently about it, but as I think it was the Kotzka Rebbe who once said, there's nothing as beautiful as a broken heart. That beautiful, I'm here,
1: I'm in my pain, I'm with my feelings. It's a very wholesome thing to do. I think that the extension of that is to say that pain is a part of our experience, right? Mm -hmm. So if we think that we're going to travel through life without any struggles, without any pain, we're in for a bit of a shock. So I think that's probably the vision I had when I was a little girl. I could just protected by your parents and then life hits you and there's things that happen and struggles that we go through. To know that the the pain and the struggles we go through are opportunities for us to grow, opportunities for us to learn, opportunities for us to get in touch with our journey through life.
0: I know that your journey has not been smooth
1: and so much of your
0: growth has happened through the challenges that you've encountered in your path. And I'm grateful that you're able to take your pain and to help other people. I mean, on a weekly basis, I'm a recipient of your teachings. Every week, I'm like, I want to quote Melissa Felder at my Shabbos table, in my synagogue, in my classes. I share your, your written word. I love listening to your videos that you do weekly on the Parsha. But I know that your whole story has taken you very far, and it started in a place of suffering. Your path to Judaism came about when you lost your first child.
1: Our first child was born with a number of physical challenges, defects. And after a few months, he was about six months old and he died of heart issues. He went in for a surgery to have his heart, so to speak, fixed and he died on the operating table. And I was in my mid twenties. It was my first child and it didn't ever occur to me that he would die. And it threw me for a loop as probably would anybody. And I had no tools to deal with it. What was this all about? And where did he go? And what happens when people die? And how do we deal with our pain? And it was a very intense time and it felt like you hit a wall almost like you hit a rock bottom and then the only way to go is up right. so how do you where do you what do you reach for and I reached for Jewish tradition and Jewish learning I reached for people I reached for ways to heal and I do believe that we never really get over situations like that we just integrate them we weave them into who we are and we learn from them I didn't want his life however short it was I really didn't want it to disappear. I wanted it to matter, I wanted him to matter, and therefore I felt like I was now on a mission to bring this little baby um, who only touched down in this world for a few months, that his life should impact at least me and my family, and I believe it has, obviously, and I've had, thank God, subsequent children to him. He was our first child. But those tears of loss and grief and suffering and pain are ones that you learn from, I hope. So the fact is that my daughter also lost her first child, which is very interesting experience to go through again. And I felt equipped, I felt equipped to teach her. She didn't want to be taught by me. You have to experience your own lives, but you can listen to wisdom and you can think about those things so that when you hit your roadblocks that you're going to come across, that you can be inspired or you can see the path that other people have laid before you. The years that I cried were, Uh, insatiable. There was no end to the cries until there was an end to the crying. And then I felt like I had come onto the other side.
0: I want to put out there, because I don't know how much our viewers know you and about you, but you have taken that pain and you've turned it into action. Uh, You got involved with your Hever Kedisha, your Jewish burial communal work, Mm. and you've never looked back. You're the person that I call for questions. And it's just amazing to see how you could take something that's so raw and use it in a way that's so productive. And my blessing to you is that you should not know any more pain or sorrow, and no one should. And every tear that you shed should be used for a purpose. There's this idea that God collects all of our tears, and he holds them in a very special place. I don't think tears ever go wasted. They're special to God. We turn our tears into prayer very often. It's just a very powerful thing to cry. I want to now shift a little bit because there was this story that came out in New Jersey. Was it, there was a tragedy. I mean, maybe you'll tell us more. I did print out the article that you wrote so beautifully on H.com. It was called A okay. Shiva Visit with the Ferenc Sisters in Jersey City. And basically, I want you to explain what happened, your perspective. This article moved me to no end because I wanted to be there. I really wanted to be in pain with the Jewish people. The Jewish people are compared to one body. If your arm is hurting, your whole body is hurting. You're in pain. And when someone is suffering in Israel or in Jersey City or wherever it is in Providence, Rhode Island, where you live, when we hear of someone's pain, it's not just like, oh, okay, that's them, I'm here. It's No, it's, we're collective. We're one body, one soul, the
1: Jewish people. So tell us about what you did, your experience, and how you grew from this. I probably would take it from the other angle in that going back to the experience with my child, Sam, learning from that. One of the things that was really, really apparent to me is the value of a shiver call. The people that came to our home and they sat with us. They didn't offer pontifications of why this happened. They sat, I mean, what can you say? You walk into a home of a mother and a father who've lost their first child, six months old, they're in their twenties. There's nothing to say. You just show up. If you're brave enough to show up, you just show up. And it's your very presence that is so comforting. And maybe the tears that you shed as you become that one soul in that one room, that's what brings comfort. We're looking to comfort the mourner when we come into that shiva house. We're looking to comfort you. And I can tell you that I still have the list of people that came to my shiva house. And it's 30 years ago. It's literally 31 years ago that Sam died. And I still know who came. And I still think about them so warmly. I want to be those people. I want to be like those people that did that for me. And I didn't know about it, but now I do. So there's a terrorist attack that happened. Perhaps you've heard of it. These people ran into a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City and they shot three people. One of the people who died at the scene was the store owner, Mrs. Ferencz. But she was killed in that accident. And we don't live that far away from Jersey City. And we went, my husband and I went down to the Shiva house. And to me, I didn't know that they were Hasidim, they were Satma Hasidim. Doesn't matter, they're Jewish people, they're sitting Shiva, and we live in close enough proximity to go visit them. So we went to visit them. You're welcome to read the article. But it was so meaningful that I just had to come home and write about it. And having written about it, I had people emailing me and telling me because we read your article we also either went to that particular shiver house or went to another shiver house that we were humming and harring should we go should we not go and they went having read the article so the power that we have to just put it out there just put stuff out there you never know where it's going to land you never know who it's going to inspire you never know whose actions are going to elevate the world because we're all learning from each other right So to walk into the Shiva house, not knowing anybody, and then recognizing that I really didn't fit in because this is a Hasidisha house and I'm not, and it's obvious that I'm not. And I walked in and all these women came over to me, who are you? And I don't want to talk. Like I want to be the Shiva person who sits in the back and is very quiet and just sits there. And you know, like, I don't know the people. I'm not going to be in the front row. And uh, they, just embraced, they just embraced me. They wanted to know who I was, where I came from. And at that point, you let them lead the way, right? There were eight sisters, I believe, sitting shiver. So I didn't know who I was visiting. I was visiting the home, the shiver house. There were eight sisters sitting there, bereft of their sister who had been murdered and speaking so frankly, so honestly, so filled with stories and one of the women, her daughter was getting married the next day and they were gonna continue with the wedding. It was just a very emotionally connecting experience that again, you can't not shed tears. They're tears of pain, they're tears of the emotional anguish that people suffer. And yet in the pain, there's also a shalom. There's something about the fact that we have in our tradition, in our belief, in our soul, a hope, a hope for a better future, a hope for a rectification of all this pain and suffering that will go away one day. God promises the tears will be wiped away. We won't be crying in the future. We have this Shabbos is known as Shabbos Chazon. It's the Shabbos of vision, a vision for a better future, a vision where we won't be crying anymore. So as much as we're crying today, and I know I'm crying today, and I don't minimize the pain, there's a vision. It's not despair. It's not for nothing. There's a meaning behind it. It might not know the meaning, but there's meaning.
0: This story that you shared and that you wrote about on H.com, this Shiva visit, it, it seems like not such a big deal. For you, it was like, I was going to pay a Shiva call. Like, not a big deal. I'll sit in the back, I'll leave. But there was something about it that really, like, woke up the world. Because sometimes we do feel kind of in our own pockets of the world and disconnected from the greater Jewish people. You wrote over here that a Hasidic woman asked you, who are you? And you uttered, I'm a member of the Jewish people. Like, it's just such a simple thing. And that's it. Like you were just sharing in their pain
1: and making space in yourself as a vessel to hold someone else's pain, which is so important. Right. I wasn't expecting that question. It took me by surprise. And I realized that they don't want to know my name. It wasn't about my name. Right. It was about like, why are you here? But the answer is because we're part of the Jewish people. Right. We're one people. But I also think as I'm as I'm thinking as you're talking is we do have a mandate to bring godliness into the world. And that's our special gift as being human beings with souls that we have something holy about us and we have the capacity to bring godliness into the world. And God visits the mourners. So too, we visit the mourners, when we visit the sick, when we dress the naked, when we do these acts of compassion and kindness and love that God exhibits in the world, when we do those things, we're on some level, we're partnering with God. And that feels again, meaningful and holy and purposeful. And it's not nothing, (laughs) you know, it's like people say to me, oh, you know, there's a shiver house down the street, but I don't really know the people. I say, you should go. What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? The only thing you have to gain is that you care enough to show up.
0: So many people are afraid to go to a shiva house, not knowing what to say. There is this block. They don't want to put themselves in an uncomfortable situation of not knowing what to do, what to say, how to help. We want to fix, but we can't. And that's very frustrating. So a lot of people tend to stay back from these experiences. And let's just talk for a minute about a shiva house. I mean, what are the laws of going to a
1: shiva house? I mean, how are you supposed to go show up so, you know, we have a lot of rules in our tradition and they make a lot of sense. The shiva house ideally allows the mourners to govern how the shiva house runs. So you want to tell your story about your loss. Maybe it's appropriate, but maybe it isn't. And you really on some level have to kind of try to minimize yourself so you can listen to what the person wants to talk about or how they want to be. I can tell you when Sam died and people came visit it was so filled with tears all day all day all day and somebody showed up around 11 o'clock at night and literally we had been crying all day and this person walked in 11 o'clock at night and I didn't want to cry anymore I was so done with crying (laughs) which sounds odd and I wanted to talk about I don't know something different something quote happy and the people who walked in told a story and it was a funny story and we laughed and I think that also amazing just as a sidebar comment the line between crying and laughing it's so fine that line like it's just deep emotion coming up it's just an overflow and sometimes it comes out as tears and sometimes it comes out as laughing you know like it has a different way to express itself it can be deep guttural wailing from deep within it can be like i just laugh right because it's funny if you watch a movie and you go from a sad scene to a happy scene the happy scene becomes really happy and it gives you a release in the other direction so that's one thing but but for somebody watching Walking into our shiva house at 11 o'clock at night and seeing the Felders laughing, they think, what, like what's going on here? But it's not about that, right? It's about letting us, the mourner, the person who is mourning, lead the way. If they want to show you pictures about their loved one, look at the pictures. If they want to talk about what they eat for dinner. It's about them. It's about them. If they want to go upstairs and take a nap, let them take a nap. It's not about you going to visit, like you have to talk to me because I came to visit you. It's really, truly trying to focus on the mourner. Sometimes I go to a shiver house you know, I have a lot I want to talk about sometimes that I feel like brings comfort about what tradition teaches about when somebody dies or what happens to their soul or how we take care of people before they die. And if they're open to that information, I find that is sometimes very comforting. But for people who are not in that world of talking about death all the time, just be there and let the mourner lead the way and be comfortable with that pause. Allow that pause, allow that quiet, just sit with people. Be, as Brene Brown would say, be in the pit, not look down and say, can I pass you a Sandwich, but be down there and say, I'm going to hug you, I'm going to cry with you, and I'm going to hold your hand, and I'm with you. What not to say in a shiver house is your interpretation of why the person died, or people would say to us, Oh, he's in a better place, and it's all for the best. Maybe it is. I don't want to hear it. It was not comforting to me for somebody else to tell me how I'm supposed to feel and walk in and just sit there and be quiet and let the mourners lead the way. I would put that as number one. Wow. Okay. Thank you for that.
0: I think that fear might hold people back from going, from showing up for other people, just because they're not sure what they could do to help. My cousin in Toronto lost a grandchild in the beginning of COVID and they were not able to have anyone at the funeral. It was very, very challenging. It was a young child, a five-year-old child that had passed away. My cousin, she told me that she had brought food to her kids that were mourning after the funeral. Mm -hmm. She came to the house with some food and she was just going to drop it off. She had no idea that their whole community had organized a drive-by shiva. I don't even know what to call it. And she said it was so touching. People had signs, we're with you. I mean, it was in the beginning of COVID where people were so afraid to even come close to each other. But everyone was driving by, putting things on the lawn, just quietly being there. She said there were hundreds of cars. And what that did for their kids, because they couldn't have
1: the traditional shiva at that time, it was so important to show people showing up for them. And keep going. We were focused on shiva. then what? It is incumbent upon those closest or those near to stay current. And the adage that people often say, well, call me if you need anything, is really hard. People who are mourning don't call you. They don't. They need you to call them. They're not in a place of power and confidence where they'll call you. They feel needy. And maybe that's something else we could try to be better at doing is to follow up with people after shiva not wait for them to be in touch with them or bump into them in the supermarket or something. Keep the calls coming. Keep the letters. I'm telling you, I have a drawer full of letters that people wrote me and it's 30 years ago and I'm still rereading those letters. Why? It keeps you motivated. Like, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this world. Please God, I'll be here a long time. But we don't know. My child died at six months. My granddaughter died at three months. We have no idea. So let's use it. Let's use our time well. Let's dig deep and let our soul out and your words let it shine right we want to shine how do we get there how do we do that letters and phone calls and zooms wow in the
0: beginning of covid i heard of a rabbi that had to give the bad news that Someone's son had passed away. He had to give it to him. But this man was in an old age home and he couldn't do it face to face. But he went to the window of the old age home and he put his hand on the glass and he held hands with this elderly man who had lost his son. And he held hands for a long time and they spoke on the phone through the glass. And I'm just thinking, we've become creative in really showing up for other human beings. So this time of year, these nine days ending with Tishabav are very sad days. But we also know that. After a winter, we always have a spring. We're not meant to be in a sad state forever. And at the end of a Shiva, there's customs. I don't know all the customs. I've heard two interesting customs. One that's more well-known is that after Shiva, the family gets up and they walk around the block. Is that something that you did, Alyssa?
1: Yep, yep. Re-entering the world. You're re-entering the world. Your world has changed when you've lost a loved one. Your world has changed and it's not going to be the same ever. There's a rip in the universe. It's new. It's different. So you've been in your home for seven days and now you're beginning the next chapter, but you're not fully engaged with the world. We still have restrictions of things that we don't do. For the first month and the first year, right? Yeah, right. But it defines, you become defined as a mourner. And I think it's a good thing. Like I've seen people who lost a mother and went back to work the next day. And we have built in to the jewish tradition the title that you are a mourner and there's things that allow you that space to process that and saying kaddish doing acts of kindness and we continue to do those acts of kindness we're still linked to those it's interesting this week's torah portion it's called varim it's the beginning of the book of deuteronomy it says that moses is talking to all the people and there's a teaching that all the people are literally all the people all the people that have died all the people get to come all the people are listening to this we are now re-entering this covenant with God, before we're entering into the land, all people. And I think it's a very comforting thing to feel like we're a link in a chain, right? Like you have spoken so eloquently about our souls being interconnected. So we're souls interconnected horizontally and vertically through all time, through space. There's a soul called the Jewish people and we're a piece of that. So the people that predecease us the people yet to come, we're connected, almost like grapes on a vine. We're clustered. So when I think about my son or I think about my granddaughter, like we plant seeds in the ground and you water them and they dissolve into the earth and then they sprout as a tree. We had the destruction of the temple, which is what we're focused on now. And We have a vision that there'll be a third temple. We have what's going to grow in the future. We lose our loved ones. We have a teaching of a resurrection and we'll come back together and we'll see those people again. So we're people that hope. That's very important. If we give up, then Uh, I don't think we're in a good place.
0: The other custom, I think it's rare, but I'm not sure which type of Jews practice this custom. But recently my husband was at a Shiva and he was there at the last day of the Shiva. And when the mourners were getting up, instead of walking around the block, their custom was that someone came and actually screamed at them, get up, get up. She was like stamping her foot on the floor, get up. Like she was kind of waking them up because in a way after going through seven days of sitting Shiva, you don't want to get up. You can't see past that. And I'm not sure where this custom comes from. It was a Reviton that had come from England. And my husband had never seen anything. He said it. It was kind of shocking because she's this very idle, very calm, very dignified lady. And all of a sudden she's screaming at the mourners, get
1: up, get up from Shiva, get up until they got up. So have you ever heard of that custom? No, but I think the message behind it is that we mourn when it's appropriate to mourn right. and then we move on. And again, it's not that you fixed it and the hole's gone. You've got to keep moving, right? We can't get stuck in shiver mode for the rest of our lives, right? We've got to get up and do the next phase and keep moving. So on that score, it's so interesting. If you look back into the Torah and Jacob, when he learned that Joseph had been killed, but he hadn't been killed, but he was led to believe by these other sons that he had been killed, he never stopped mourning. He never stopped mourning. One of the teachings given as to why he didn't stop mourning is because he never really gave up hope that he would see his son again. There was still something subconsciously in his mind that he didn't quite believe it, that he would never see his son again, that he was he really dead. But that's the holding pattern that Jacob was in, that he never stopped mourning, it says, until he saw Joseph again so many years later. And that's the same thing we're doing. We're still mourning. It's been thousands of years since the temple was destroyed. There's a story about Napoleon, Bonaparte, walking by a synagogue and hearing the lamenting and the wailing of the people inside the synagogue. And he said to his advisors, what's going on in there? And they said, well, the Jews are mourning the destruction of their temple. And he said, well, when did that happen? And he said, like 1,700 years ago. What? (laughs) Like people who have a hope and it's not ended. We've not put that behind us and moved on. We're taking it and we're looking forward. It's going to happen again.
0: Didn't he say? at the end of that, a nation that will still mourn after so long will see the rebuilding of their temple one day. Very
1: powerful. Very Very powerful. powerful. You know, I once
0: had a very unique experience. This is going back over a decade ago when I lived in Israel. We had many weddings, maybe sometimes two weddings a night. There were so many simchas to share. And I remember one day we had a shiva. It was a very sad shiva house. I mean, every shiva house is sad, but this was a big tragedy. And we went to the shiva. And then from there, we had to go to this wedding. And I remember like coming out of the Shiva, full of tears, heartbroken, just feeling such a hole, just feeling so in pain. And I said, I don't think I could go to this wedding. They'll forgive me. I'll explain. And I think I was with my husband and he said, we have to go to the wedding. And I remember like kind of fighting it a little bit, but ending up, you know, going along with him thinking I'll stay in the back. I'm really not in the mood. But when I got there, and when I saw this beautiful chatan and kala and remembered my obligation as a Jew to be misameach, the chatan and Kala. like it's one of the greatest mitzvot, to bring joy to the bride and groom. And it took me a few minutes to process, but eventually I went right in, smiled, danced with the bride, danced with the mother of the bride, you know, did my mitzvah, and then was able to leave. And I remember walking home that night feeling the conflicting emotions inside of me. And it was also a moment of feeling this is what it means to be a Jew. To be present in the moment that sometimes we're in mourning and sometimes we're in celebration. And we should always be in celebration, but there is mourning. And we can't get to the celebration unless we're properly in the times of mourning. I think it's important to mention that the saddest day in the Jewish calendar, Tisha B'Av, is known to hopefully become a day of celebration one day in the future. It's just like, how could it be though? How could you hold both on the same day? That Tisha B'Av, the day of mourning, the day of fasting and sitting on the floor and you know, taking ourselves away from everything, everything that comforts us, that day is supposed to become a Yom Tov, a day of celebration in the Jewish calendar? How could it be? But the seeds of Mashiach are actually planted on the day of Tishabav. It's kind of hard to fathom or to understand such a concept. But the hope that you spoke about is there. It's there in the pit, in the, that pit, that pit that you talked about from Brene Brown. There's only one way to go. It's up. It's hope. It's yeah. growth. It's yeah. only towards a better time. So it's important yeah. to be yeah. in that place be in that pain and to hold people in that pain
1: right and you spoke a little bit about the fear of encountering pain it's hard it's not easy um but i think if you felt your own pain then perhaps you have more equipment then to allow others to feel their pain Mm -hmm. it's allowing yourself to feel what you feel so that you can then hold others Mm -hmm. and i think that that's hard can we even start with ourselves feel our own pain Mm -hmm. like really feel it I don't have a standing on one foot answer for those things, but if we open our hearts and it is like you said, the tears, the prayers, the tears, the gates of heaven are opened when we cry, when we cry from our souls, when we cry from our hearts and we cry out to God. And that those tears that we cry are purposeful and they open up the gates. We're looking to create a relationship. What we lost with the destruction of the temple was we lost a relationship with God and we want that back. How do we get that? How do we make up for the loss of the temple. It says any generation where the temple isn't rebuilt is because we haven't done the work to rebuild it. What's the what caused it? Hatred. What's going to bring it? Love. Love. And love of visiting your neighbor who's lost somebody. Love of writing a note, making a phone call, whatever it is. That somehow bring more light into the world. That should be
0: the call to action after you get off listening to this, that everyone should just pick up the phone and call someone. I mean, we all have so many people that need comfort in our lives. So everyone should just write that note or make that phone call. I mean, it's just,
1: it's pretty simple. God should give us the courage to do that. It is courageous. It's hard to pick up the phone. And even a shiver call, like it's so hard to make a shiver call, you know? So what is it? I'm thinking about you. I love you. I'm Mm. so sorry. That's, it.
0: That's so nice. You know, you said something really important before. You basically said that you need to first feel your own pain and then that gives permission to others to feel theirs. I mean, this is so in line with the buzzword of vulnerability and everything. I see this in my work all the time, that when I'm able to open myself up and be real with another person, it gives them permission to do so as well. That's when things take off. That's when real change can happen. That's when relationships can flourish. So I think even before making that phone call, it's being with, how do you feel about this? Could you feel, could you touch into, tap into the pain that you're feeling for a fellow friend, a fellow person, a fellow Jew that's struggling? It's taking that moment and then bringing that forward and saying, I'm with you in your pain, but from a real place, not just chit-chat, but really, really feeling someone else's pain. Maybe we could bring Mashiach. If we all do this, maybe we could bring better times just by all of us doing our part. And maybe this year, tishabav maybe it'll turn into a day of rejoicing with the coming of Mashiach. I'm praying for him. We're waiting for it, all of us. And like
1: you said, we're crying. We're crying not just for ourselves and not just for our immediate communities. We're crying for the world. The world is not a good place and there's lots of pain and suffering out there. And it is an opportunity in these COVID days to truly open ourselves up and cry those tears. That were a gift. They were given back to Adam and Eve as a gift. And they're in us. They're in us. We have this blessing we say when we go to the bathroom about opening up our orifices and our cavities Open it up your tear ducts and let the beautiful. tears come, real tears, beautiful. heartfelt tears. So beautiful.
0: Let things flow the way that God intended for them to be in a healthy way, emotionally. It's, a gift. So it's a, gift. Yeah. a gift. Well, this Tisha B'Av, God willing, you know, we should have, we should have better times, but if we find ourselves sitting on the floor, honoring the day of Tisha B'av in a sad way, then it's important to kind of bring your emotions to a place of tears. There's lots of sayings about if everyone would just shed one tear, God would have to take us out of this exile. And I imagine God having like a cup. I mean, it's probably a very big cup at this point, but a cup where God collects all the tears and hopefully will turn those tears into tears of joy. So I just want to thank you so, so, so much for coming and sharing of yourself and your stories. And we have so much to learn from you and we should all continue. How is there a way for all of the listeners to find you, to hear your, beautiful Parsha weekly videos and beautiful written emails that I receive in my inbox. I wait for them every week.
1: Well, I guess they could be in touch with you to be in touch with me. That would probably be one way if you don't mind that. But um, my name, Alyssa Felder. I'm on Facebook. You're welcome to friend me and and you can watch my Facebook live videos or email me, AlyssaFelder at AOL.com. And uh, I'd be happy to send you the emails, the Divar Torahs that I write every week on the Torah portion. I
0: told you, I think you have a book in you. You need to compile all these beautiful writings. It's just, they, they really touch your soul. What comes from the heart enters the heart. heart. And yes, definitely, very heartfelt. So thank you. And Hashem should give you a lot of strength to continue doing your holy work and well, supporting so many people that are going through hard times and continue living life so, so beautifully and so fully. Thank, well, thank you. you. And may we get through this period of pain and come out on the other side. And God willing, we should celebrate sometime soon. OK, thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. We value that you are a part of our community. Be sure to check out our other podcast episodes. And to learn more about the work that we do and inspire Jewish women, please check us out on Facebook, Instagram and on our website at www.inspiredjewishwomen.com. Notice that we use the word woman and not woman in plural because Jewish women are most powerful when we bond together and we together can create amazing positive changes in the world Bye for now. Hope to see you again soon so we could continue this conversation.